Wellington Links rely on partnerships and the amazing work of so many organizations and leaders to achieve our collective community goals. I hold dear the bonds of friendship. We are friends transforming communities through service. implement transformative programs that address the most critical needs of underserved communities. Welcome to LinkedIn Impact with the Arlington Links, a podcast which transforms our community by highlighting the issues, resources, and leaders that you need to know. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of LinkedIn Impact with the Arlington Links. My name is Krista Jones, and I'm excited to host this podcast produced by the Arlington, Virginia chapter of the Links Incorporated. Last month, I visited London, England, and Paris, France, as a part of the Links Incorporated Global Black Women's Summit. This convening highlighted the interconnectedness, potential, and power of the African diaspora. In London, we heard from prominent Black British women who had experienced similar challenges in their careers and personal lives, but they were excited about seeing so many accomplished African-American women gathered to discuss such critical issues. In Paris, I went on the Blacks in Paris tour, where they discussed how Africans and those of African descent have influenced and contributed to the success of Paris. From the Egyptians to those of Caribbean descent like Alexander Dumas and African-Americans like Josephine Baker, they have all made Paris what it is today. On my last day in London, I was able to catch the end of the Slavery in London tour, where the tour participants were of differing ethnic backgrounds, ages, and philosophical leanings, and they were talking about reparations. As you may have heard, at the end of slavery in England in 1833, compensation was paid to slave owners due to the loss of property and income that they received from the slaves. And the British people, including descendants of slaves, were taxed until 2015 to recoup the costs that were paid to slave owners. During the tour, there was one man who had a more conservative perspective and had many of the same thoughts about reparations as you hear in the United States, including why should anyone receive reparations, particularly when Blacks are already enjoying the benefits of life in our country? How do we know what they would do with the money That comment was not received well. And how exactly would it be distributed? In this conversation today, we bring together several people who have worked on the issue of reparations in the United States to get their thoughts. We encourage you to abandon what you may have thought about the issue before and listen to the ideas presented. We hope that you find this conversation enlightening. for joining us today. I'd love to start off with quick introductions. Um, I'll start with you, Rashad. Hi, yes. My name is Rashad Pearson. I currently live in uh, Severn, Maryland. I was a resident in Virginia, Chesapeake area for about four years, but and I'm currently the chair of RAZAR, which is Resolutions Addressing Systemic and Structural Racism. Glad to be here. Thank you. Gloria? Hi, I'm Gloria Runyon. I live in Vienna, Virginia. I am a part of Redress Reparations Network. I've been working in in Vienna, Virginia, my hometown, on issues of social justice, as well as redressing issues that affect my community. 
Thank you very much. Melissa. Yes, hi, I'm Melissa Harmon. I am a longtime resident of Washington, D.C. metropolitan area and moved to Southside, Virginia, Virginia, when I retired from my executive position in the federal government. I'm now on the board of directors with Rashad for the RAZAR, Resolutions Addressing Systemic and Structural Racism, also part of the Virginia Redress Network Coalition and an advocate and activist for making systemic and structural change that we can fame. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Melissa. EJ? Hello, I am EJ Scott, and I am the chair of the Virginia NAACP Economic Development Committee. I am also part of the Virginia Redress, as well as the National Redress Committee. We're working. Thank you, EJ. Indeed. Hello, my name is E. Carter. I am a lifelong resident of Vienna, Virginia. I'm Gloria's three-time cousin. Both of us work together on trying to redress and repair things that happen here in Vienna, Virginia, but we're also active in the African-American Redress Group for Virginia. Excellent. Thank you very much. So let's start off the conversation just by explaining what are reparations. And EJ, I know you want to take that one. First of all, to be simple, reparations, it's a program of acknowledgement, redress, and closure to address harms that are done. What we work on and talk about redress, we want to make it clear that reparations is a debt owed. It's owed to the descendants of child slavery and has a need to address it because we want to fill the racial wealth gap. And it is a standing position of the national NAACP. Excellent. So when we talk about reparations, who, can you talk talk more about who would benefit and how those benefits would be determined? We have always believed that is the African descendants in the United States that are descendants of the slavery and Jim Crow era that really require redress from the federal government. Excellent. Can anyone talk about, it doesn't have to be extensive, but just a little bit of a history of how we got to this point in this nation where we are just, I know there've always been movements for reparations, but I think people are hearing more about it now. What's some background about what efforts have been made, what movements in the past have been made for reparations? And one uh, big example that's more known nationally is in Evanston, Illinois, that locality actually passed a reparations bill, smaller in the grand scheme of things of reparations, but it was allocated, I believe, $20 million for the city for past descendants, not necessarily slavery, but like Jim Crow era and unequal treatment of African-Americans. And so those funds are used for basically to promote home ownership amongst African-Americans, anyone who can trace their lineage back, I believe, between 19... I believe like up to the 1960s and the descendants of Evanston, Illinois, from that point could use this fund to put up to, I believe, individual can receive up to $20,000 in home down payment or uh, purchasing of land, any real estate type of property. So that's one of the main efforts. Again, it's only on a local level, nothing statewide or national. But there's besides Evanston, there's been other, you know, localities that made movements on reparations. And if I can build a little bit on what Rashad just said. The concept of reparations has been around for a while, and it has been applied in other contexts. For instance, the Japanese Americans that were interred during World War II. So the concept 
is not a new concept. And we use the expanded framework that the United Nations uses that gives a broader opportunity for making the repair that is needed because of the harms that were done to this particular community. And just very quickly, they use a five-tiered approach that can be anything from restitution, which is restoring victims to their original health and being, compensation, which like Rashad said, monetary awards for the economic damage that had been done, rehabilitation, which could be anything from medical to legal social services care, satisfaction, which could be as simple as acknowledging the truth of the fact that systemic racism still exists, needs to be addressed, and the harms still need to be addressed through the guarantees of non-repetition, which is a lot of what RAZAR does, which is really working at making institutional changes to the systems and structures. The concept can be very broadly applied or very locally applied, as Rashad was illustrating. And many of you may remember what happened in Manhattan Beach in California, which the property was taken through eminent domain by a couple, and the heirs of that couple received uh, sweeping financial reparations from that. Yes. So what has been done in Virginia? What are some efforts that have been made in Virginia for reparations? Well, one of the things that we have done here in Virginia is that we have called for the use of some of the profits, the tax profits, I should say, from the state's legalized cannabis sales to help fund some reparations that those funds should be put in a site until a decision on reparations for Virginia is made. And that's just one example. But we have been meeting as a group for over a year looking at these types of things and studying other localities and what they're doing. We are hopeful to get some legislation going. And there also, a few years ago, the Virginia state government launched a study of the existing laws that are on the books to really do a thorough scrub of the laws that still exist are systemically against the minorities and racist and to address those. And that is another type of, of redress and repair. Absolutely. And so what about federal legislation? Does anyone have any thoughts on what's been introduced and the prospects for that? One of the things that got the NAACP involved was back in 1991, Congressman John Conyers introduced HB 40. Now, of course, we know that it's not perfect, but it certainly was a way to get the conversation started and to try to put together a commission that would look at doing reparations in the United States for the descendants of chattel slavery. And that has failed to get all the way through the House and Senate. And so it is still now that he has passed, it is being carried by Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And they're one of the people who has really been involved in this fight is uh, Dr. William uh, Darity. And uh, he's been pushing this for um, 30, 40 years to try to get reparations, the representations conversation moving forward. And one of the things I, I will say this, as we see what is happening now in the United States, part of that, I believe, has to do with the changes in the attitudes about reparations. There was a survey done back in 2000, and only 4% of whites even thought there there should be reparations for Black Americans. Uh, and another survey was done back in 2015, 
and the, it was up to 14%. There was one done in 2020 that now it's up to 30%. And I believe with the attitudes changing on Black America, I think that's why we're seeing all this pushback about Black history and about teaching our children about equity and equality. And that's all part of that. There's a certain group that would certainly not to see, not like to see this move forward. And that is true, if I can add to that, in the absence of being able to get weeping legislation like that passed on a bicameral basis through Congress, there are things that can be done through executive orders, for instance. And in 2021, I believe it was, the president did put forth Executive Order 13985, which is advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities mm -hmm. through the federal government. As EJ alluded, these aren't perfect measures that address everything, but there are things that we can continue to do to advance the conversation, the normalization of this effort for reparations. Yeah, and I also do want to add as well, I know as far as from the presidential standpoint, during the Democratic presidential primary debate, this was back when Barack Obama was running, so either, I'm, I'm not sure if it was 08 or 12, but all the candidates were asked about reparations, and I believe House Bill 40 and then as well. And all the candidates, including Barack Obama, basically did turn it down. And basically from the perspective of saying it'd be a non-starter amongst white Americans, not to push it there. But then in 2020, same question was asked to the Democratic candidates. And most of them said, not most of them, all of them, including Biden, who, of course, ended up winning, said they would consider it. Now, overall, I personally would say that's not a lot of progress. However, it's not sufficient enough, but it is progress. So I would definitely say, like you were saying, EJ, like the percentage of white Americans in, in approval of it is definitely an issue that needs to be pushed on the national level. And if we keep pushing it, something that we continue to ask of political representatives, even the presidential candidates, it, we could continue to see progress in the next years and the next elections. And in Virginia, we're getting ready to have a local election. And those are some of the things that we'd like to put forth to our candidates here in the state of Virginia, now that we're going to be electing the uh, state house, which is the delegates at our Senate, state Senate. So what do you all think is the future of the reparations movement? What is, if you feel comfortable sharing, what is some more of your strategy moving forward? And if we continue in this incremental manner, like you all are saying, if we can slowly see changes in different arenas in five years from now, where do you think we might be? Let me just say this, Krista, is because We've already said reparations isn't new. We know that there were reparations given to the Japanese, but did you know that the United States, when it was considered the United Colonies, it asked for reparations from Great Britain? It asked for redress. And in the Declaration of Independence, it talks about all, it gives a list of what they refer to as harms that was done to the United States. And in that, it says that every time we have asked for redress, we have only received repeated arms. So it's not something that even the United States has not been affected for. And when Reagan, back in 1988, when he was signing the bill to give reparations for the Japanese, one of the things he said in that is that he said that it was a question of honor that the United States does this. It says no payment can make up for those lost years. 
So what is most important in this bill has less to do with property than to do with honor. For here, we admit a wrong. Here, we reaffirm our commitment as a nation to equal justice under the law. And when we ask for reparations, that's all we are asking for as Black Americans. We're asking for the United States to honor its commitment to equal justice under the law. And also, Crystal, it says here, it said that the United States gave former slave owners 300 per enslaved person set free. More than 3,100 enslaved people saw their freedom paid for in this way for a total in excess of $930,000. Almost today, it's $25 million, where the enslaved people received nothing. The enslavers got money, but the enslaved didn't get any money. So I think that it is owed to us that they got it, then we should get it too, because we were the ones that had the burden of doing all this work and everything and never got paid for it. We weren't indigent people because indigent people got paid and they were eventually set free. These people were never set free, only through the Civil War, that they were actually set free through the Emancipation Proclamation, except in Texas where they weren't free until Juneteenth. But I think that is well-deserving of African-Americans who have family that was enslaved in this country deserve reparations. And you can't tell us to start at the finish line and then we need to accept things as is. No, it doesn't happen that way. If these folks got it, I think that we deserve it as well. And our ancestors think that we deserve it. And I think that's a key point you made, Dee. And we have to really show that this is a thread that carries all the way through to today. And that's part of the conversation that I think it is getting broader understanding, still needs a whole lot more understanding and support. But I am hopeful that we're gaining momentum in helping people to understand that harm that was done 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and even carrying through to Jim Crow and today does affect people that are living today that may not have been as directly impacted as you could see 150 years ago, that doesn't mean that the harm hasn't been compounded today's generation. And that's where the discussion of reparations for today's generation needs to be carried through to the linkage. And I want to say, just to add to answer the question, like, what do I see for reparations like around five years from now? And then, honestly, this is just a hope. I don't really know of any true momentum of this, but what I really want to see is like a unified push on reparations uh, five within the next five years. And honestly, I know there's a, a lot of like disagreement or tear with it, but I believe like it needs to be like so much of a unified issue. And I will say specifically amongst African Americans, it's something that we need to hold our vote towards until it becomes a major topic on the table for politicians, particularly at the uh, federal level, presidential, Senate. Uh, Congress, congressional level, it's something I think we need to hold our vote, hold our votes towards. Uh, if any candidate doesn't take it, we don't vote for that candidate. We don't make it uh, Democrat, Republican. Just we make this a main issue. I think we need to start becoming issue based and hold our votes to that. From that, I think there does need to be a unified idea of what reparations look like. It doesn't have to all be like done in one push, one ask, or whatever. But there needs to be a unified understanding of what we're asking for and push towards that because we can't have a hundreds of different asks because you, I think those were like deflect off of each other. So 
I just hope I really just become more of a main topic over the next within the next five years in the future elections until we start seeing some progress. But it's, it is going to take that united effort to really push for this topic. That's my hope within the next five years. Thanks, Lady. That across the country, there are groups that have been forming. Some of it's called Coming to the Table, which is a group of people, an interracial group of people, who are understanding the harm that was taking place because of what happened to our peoples and understanding what reparations and redress means. And I think those were the changes are taking place in Denver and California and Virginia and all over the country. And that pleases me that small group, small groups across the country, people are understanding the harm that was done and their role, whether black or white, in making these changes. And we know, Krista, that reparations for slavery has really been politically weaponized. But again, reparations has been out there and done and given to a number of groups. The 9-11 victims, they're the families of the 9-11 victims, they were given reparations. The Iranian hostages were given $10,000 for every day they were held in captivity over in Iran. And that amounts to over $4 million each. Now, the United States had nothing to do with them being held. The United States did not shoot down the the towers because these were Americans that were being harmed. It was the government's responsibility to do that. And they have done that for every group, for veterans, for all kinds of things, even when The U.S. government bombs like an island in the South Pacific. They go over and they do repair and redress for the island's residents. So this is not something that's new, but it is just for Black Americans. We are the outliers. For some reason, there has been no reparations that were afforded to Black Americans. And that's something we need to push and we need to make everyone understand how important it is to change that. And the other thing, okay, this is Dee. I think that, and this is just my suggestion, is that maybe we should have a march down Pennsylvania Avenue that all of us that support reparation, no matter what form of reparation, to show to the American people that this is due to us, this is owed to us, And that if you're a part, want to be part of the solution, join us, whether you're Black, white, Asian. And in my understanding that some of those folks are working with some of the reparations committee because they have received some funds. The Japanese, I've heard, is working with some African-Americans on reparations as well. And some other groups that have received money are working with some African-American groups in addressing reparations for African-Americans as well. I think that maybe we need something like that to show the American people that this is the harm that was put to us and that this is what we're expecting out of it. On Saturday at the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, there was a group of people who are interested in working towards reparations that gathered in front of the White House in order to talk and let the president and everyone know that reparations is important. So that is happening. Excellent. So what are some other ways that the community can get involved? I think some people may listen to this and I think you all made a lot of good points, but I feel like, and I think you all have insinuated this, reparations in some ways has been almost like a joke, even in our community. And I'm not saying that people don't want it, but it's because they don't quite understand it. And I think as you all have aptly said, 
understand that this is not new. This is not something the country would be doing. But for those who want to learn even more or maybe want to get involved, what avenues are there um, to do that? I think the very basic start is acknowledging that the parity is not there. As all the other speakers have said, there have been reparations made by the United States government on many different avenues. Why is it that this one particular avenue continues to get left behind? And so it starts with all of us talking about it, normalizing it, acknowledging that it still exists, and not allowing things to be suppressed, such as education, teaching, accurate history, American history. It starts with the painful acknowledgement of what this country has done to African-Americans. And if we can't do that basic point, the conversations are much more difficult. We have to start with people not suppressing truth of our history. Absolutely. And talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends and family, they can certainly talk to their elected officials to let them know that the conversation on reparations is important to them and they would like to have it. So continue here in Virginia to advocate for the direction of making redress to the African-Americans because Virginia's history, as we know, is one that's thought in oppression and slavery. I bet many times that this country may have been built on the idea of freedom, but practice of slavery. So we need to try to change that in our much-loved Virginia. And just Linda Mann always say, reparations is not a four-letter word. So keep that in mind as well. Any more thoughts? Each and every one of us can and should and needs to do our part. If it starts with, as EJ says, talking to your neighbor or going before the school board and making sure that accurate history curriculum is there, working to rename a street from a Confederate general to something else, schools, all of these things start building awareness and we can each do our part. And if we do it all together, the grain of sand on a beach, we can get it done. And that too, I would suggest they're coming to the table groups across the country. Denver is the most active one and the most one who's been addressing reparations and redress. But even as a small effort, as Divi and I have done here in Vienna, just getting a street name changed or trying to get a park back recognized and dedicated to our ancestors that it was taken from us. And I think those are small groups, but getting with people, letting your voice be heard and seeking organizations and strategies that you can make an impact. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yep. And I also want to plug myself and Melissa's organization, Razor, for if you want to get further involved. If you do want to email us, our email is Razor.org. That's R-A-S-R-O-R-G at gmail.com. We also have a website as well in the Facebook group. Again, just these organizations or any organization, regardless if you join Razor or any organization, we all support each other. We're all one coalition. So those are these are ways to get more hands-on involvement, particularly in the state of Virginia. So yeah, just uh, feel free to reach out to any of us. Yes, and the African American Redress Network is a redress r e d r e s network at gmail dot com, and we meet on a monthly basis, and we talk about things that are going on as far as reparations, repair, anything that's going on. I know Linda said that they have been working in Mobile, Alabama. Of course, they found the Clotia Hilda, and they are trying to make sure that their community 
is getting reparations as well as redress of that harm that has come to their community in Alabama. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I think this has been a really helpful conversation. I personally am committed to doing what I can to really spread the word, help sure make people understand the breadth of the definition as well as what they can do to really to ensure that those who are descendants of American slaves receive reparations. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for thank having you, us. Krista. Thank you, Krista. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for an invite. I hope that you learned something new or considered a new perspective from this conversation on reparations. No matter your current thoughts on the topic, I think that we can all understand the need for more exploration. For more information on the Arlington, Virginia chapter, please visit our website at arlingtonlinksinc.org and follow us on social media at Arlington Links.